Well, hey, good morning. I want to welcome you to Church Online, where we're gathering four churches across our great city to come together to kick off this new summer series that we've entitled Sundays with a Z. See what we did there? Sundays with a Z. And so what we're doing is over the month of July, we're going to be going through four specific passages where it highlights the sun. And our hope, our goal, is that it will spur us on, if you will. It'll, it'll shake us up a little bit to get out of a daze that a lot of times all of us can so easily fall into especially as we've walked through the year 2020. You know that feeling when you get kind of in a daze where you just feel just like your, your brain gets foggy or you just kind of get zoned out? Uh, or You know, maybe the times when you're just scrolling through your social media and you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and you almost feel like a zombie and then you snap out of it and you're like, oh shoot, I just missed my Zoom work call. Or, or, or maybe when you drive from the office and then you drive all the way home and you're in your driveway and when you get in your driveway, you're wondering, where the heck did I, did I how did I even get here? And classic case of dazing and driving. Or maybe when you were in school, uh, you were so bored in your class and it was just putting you to sleep and you got into this daze, but your teacher called on you and asked for you to give a question and you snapped out of your daze and you gave the response, but it was a fraction answer. Problem was, is you were in choir class. Not that that's ever happened to me before. Or, or what about you kids out there who love Fortnite or love Roblox and you get such in a daze when you're playing your game, but your parents are asking you question after question a hundred times and you never respond because you're just in a daze. You just need to snap out of it. It's so easy for us to get into that days. And so not only do we get into the days, you know, physically and mentally, but a lot of times, right, we can get into a spiritual days. And so our hope, our goal is to help snap us out, to wake us up, if you will, out of the spiritual days that all of us can so easily fall into. For instance, today we want to talk about the idea of getting trapped in the prayer days. It's so easy for us to get trapped in the prayer days where we get stuck in a rut when it comes to our prayers, right? Where we start repeating the same words over and over again, or we're going through the same form and our dazing turns into drooling and then our drooling just turns into stopping because we get so frustrated that we just keep dazing out when it comes to prayer. And maybe one of the reasons why we get trapped in the prayer days is because our prayers are just too weak. Maybe it's because our prayers are just too small and we're not praying bold enough. Bold prayers, impossible prayers are not even in our vocabulary anymore or maybe have never been in our vocabulary. And we just keep praying these small, weak, maybe even timid prayers. Like for instance, like maybe it's like we can get into the habit of praying, God, would you just be with me? God, would you just be with me? Would you just be with me here? Where God's probably like, well, last time I checked, I've never left. I'm always here. I'm always with you. I'm everywhere. So when it comes to our prayers, why is it? What keeps us from praying bold prayers? Maybe it's because of fear. Maybe it's because of lack of confidence. Maybe it's because we've prayed something before and then he didn't come through. So we think, well, why bother? Maybe it's because we don't want to get let down. There's an author called... Um, named Mark Batterson, who wrote the book uh, Circle Maker. And I love what he wrote when he said this. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, 
They are insulting to God. (sighs) Take that in. If your prayers are not impossible or big enough, they're insulting to God. So if your prayers seem too big or your prayers seem too impossible, that's probably the right size that they need to be for God. So how do we pray boldly? How do we snap out of the prayer days that can come over all of us so easily? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a man who prayed boldly. He prayed this audacious prayer, which many scholars believe that it is the boldest prayer recorded in the scriptures. And my hope today is that as we see this prayer being prayed and we see what he did, that it will kind of just rub off on us a little bit and it will help us from praying, stop praying weak prayers and start praying bold prayers. But before we dive into that, I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for us. Father, God, we love you so much. And I just ask right now, we just pray boldly that that you would just move like no other. God, that you would speak to us in a powerful way, that, that all distractions would be removed and we would take exactly what we need to hear today and that we would have a bold response to what we've heard today. And we pray this in the power of your amazing son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, I want you to open up, if you will, to the book of Joshua. Uh, The book of Joshua, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10, uh, you got the New Testament, you got the Old Testament. Uh, Joshua is the sixth book in, and uh, so pull it out on your phone, pull it out in your home there, and uh, don't take it from me, take it from the Word of God. Joshua, let me kind of set it up. Joshua was a book about Joshua, and uh, Joshua had a front row seat uh, to the life of Moses, And God gave the reins to Joshua after Moses died. I mean, Joshua got to see Moses, you know, uh, save the Israelites from Egypt. Uh, He got to see, you know, the parting of the Red Sea, God's provision over them in the desert, dropping manna from heaven. And then Moses dies. And after Moses dies, Joshua's in charge. He has the keys. And so he walks into the promised land that God promised the Israelite nation, goes through the Jordan River, and as they cross the Jordan River into the promised land, guess what? There were people there. There were other kings. There were other kingdoms there. And they started to hear that Joshua and the Israelites were there and how powerful their God was. And they started to freak out a little bit. They started to panic. And one of those kings, one of those kingdoms was the Gibeonite people. And Gibeon, their leader, went to Joshua and said, hey, 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 look, 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 look. Can we have a little peace treaty here? Is it possible if we could have a, have a peace treaty? We'll be your servants. We will, we will, we will serve you. Please don't ransack us. And so Joshua wasn't really supposed to do this, but he made a treaty with them. Now, the other five Amorite kingdoms, the other five Amorite kings, they got word what Gibeon did, and it ticked them off. So those five kingdoms, those Amorite kingdoms, came together as a gang and and came together to to, to destroy Gibeon. They were going to come after him for him making a treaty with Joshua. And so Gibeon gets word of what's going on, and he's thinking, oh my goodness, I, I, I gotta go to Joshua. I need to send a message to Joshua so that they will protect us. And so here's where the story picks up if I haven't lost you here. So we, we pick up here in Joshua chapter 10, verse six. He says this, the men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once. Save us, help us, for all the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. 
So Joshua and his entire army included his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Don't be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Notice where it says there, for I have given you victory over them. He speaks to their present battle in the past tense because he already knew the victory had been won. And just a little nugget, side note, that when it comes to the battles that we're gonna face or that we're facing right now, those present battles, God speaks to those battles in the past tense because through Christ Jesus, the victory is already won. Just a little side note for us. So Joshua is with the army and they're gathering together and they start marching towards the Amorite soldiers. And as they're marching, they go through the night and they basically catch the Amorites by surprise. They were in a sense dazing a little bit, if you will. And so they charged them and put them into a panic and confusion and chaos, so much so that they began to retreat. They started winning and in verse 11, it says that God sent this hailstorm just pelting them. And so victory was near, victory was in their hands, it was in their fingertips, but then the sun began to set. It says that the sun began to set. And back then in those times, if the sun set, then you couldn't fight anymore because there was no flashlight. There was no beams of light. And so they're like, oh no, we have them right where we want them. And then they're going to escape and regroup and get refocused. Then we're going to have to start all over again. Oh man, if the sun could just set. And so Joshua, the leader of the Israelite nation, stops for everyone for a moment and then speaks out in front of everyone. Here's what he says. Joshua says this, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all of the people of Israel. And he said, let the sun stand still. Let the sun stand still over Gibeon, the moon over the valley of Ashelon. People are wondering, what kind of a prayer is that? Let the sun stand still. How is the sun going to stand still? What are you talking about? But then the scriptures tell us in verse 13 that the sun stood still. And the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since then when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. It was almost as if God pulled out his DDR and he just pressed the button and then everything stood still. Everything paused. And you might be asking the question, how in the world did that happen? I mean, how, how, I mean, last time I checked, the earth revolves around the sun. Well, it shows that maybe Joshua prayed the wrong prayer or that he really wasn't a scientist. But we don't know exactly how it happened. But what we do know is that God delayed the sunset. And there are so many uh, things that you can read and so many thesis and, and arguments for how that actually took place in conspiracies. But I, I don't want to go there. What I want to get caught up in is not how it happened. I want to get caught up on what gives Joshua the audacity to pray such a bold prayer like that. What, what gives him such audacity to pray such a bold prayer, especially in the midst of a battle, especially in the midst of a circumstance where the sun was beginning to set? And in a similar way, when it comes to our own lives, when it feels like we are going through a battle or a trial and it feels like the sun is setting on our lives, like maybe the sun is setting on a dream for you or the sun is setting on a business or the sun is setting on a marriage or the sun is setting on a, on, a, on a health conflict that you're battling or whatever the conflict is. In those times, right, it's easy for our prayers to start to shrink. 
It's easy for our prayers to start to become weak. How do we, in the midst of those circumstances, still have bold prayers to God? How did Joshua do it? And so let's look at what Joshua did when it comes to him having bold prayers. First thing we see is that he had a bold dependence. He had a bold dependence. He understood his audience. He understood who he was talking to. He wasn't relying on his own nature. He was relying on God's nature. He wasn't relying on his own strength. He was relying on God's strength, understanding of the past miracles that he got to see God do in other people's lives, in his own life, from Moses to a couple chapters ago, watching the walls of Jericho come crumbling down, understanding that even in his small voice was reaching the ears of God and God would hear him. Reminding me of Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Leaning into the nature of God, again, not into our own nature. He had a major problem, but God was bigger than that problem. His high view of God was the solution to help his problem. The more that we understand, The more that we understand the nature of God and who he is, the more we can boldly depend on him instead of ourselves. And so Joshua had a bold dependence. Not only did he have a bold dependence, but it says we we, we see that he had a bold confidence. He had a bold confidence. I I, I think of so many times in my life where where I had confidence, but then all of a sudden it kind of shrinked back. Uh, Years ago, my friends wanted to go skydiving. And at first I was like, I don't want to go skydiving. Well, I said, okay, let's do it. And so I started to build up some confidence in there. And I was like, okay, this is going to be fine. This is going to be great. So we show up and they do all the training, get us all, you know, figured out and get us all the gear on. And we get in the airplane. And as we flew up into the sky, everything was fine. But then they opened the door. And I'm telling you what, if my confidence meter is up here, as soon as they opened up that door, the confidence meter started to crash. And so I turn around to the guy that I'm awkwardly strapped to, and I'm like, listen, uh, how do we land? You didn't talk to me about landing. He's like, I'll teach you in the air. I'm like, you'll teach me in the air, you know? And so then literally we hobble over to the door and jump out of the plane. And literally in that moment, my brain just stopped. And I'm like, well, that was stupid. We just jumped out of an airplane. My confidence completely shrank. It wasn't until that, that parachute went out that my confidence began to rise back up. You think of Joshua. In, in, in verse 12, what did it say? He, he didn't pray the prayer like, hey God, hey, let the sun stand still. No, he didn't do that. He, he in front of everyone, prayed that prayer boldly so that all could hear. And if it didn't happen, well, then he'd look like an idiot. And if it did happen like it did, then he looked pretty good. And isn't it amazing when you think about it, how those around us, people around us can weaken our confidence, can make our prayers more weak because they start to say things that affect our minds. Like they'll start to say things like, you're crazy. Come on. Or, or that's never been done before. Who do you think you are? That seems impossible. Why are you praying or thinking such things? So not only do people around us affect the way that we pray sometimes, but obviously we know our own minds can mess with us. It messes with our minds where we start, we start kind of losing our confidence in our prayers thinking, well, God, yeah, I want you to move powerfully in my marriage, but if it's in your will, or I want you to, to reach my friend who's far from God, if, if it's in your will, or, 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 or would you bring my son back who's gone off the deep end? Well, if it's in your will. And I taught this passage a couple years ago. 
And one of the, the, the things that came to me that God gave me that has really helped me is this line right here that I want you to, to take in, is don't let praying your will be your confidence kill. Don't let praying the idea of your will be your confidence kill, the idea of your will be done. Now, I'm not saying that we don't pray your will be done. I mean, Jesus told us the importance of praying your will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. That's important to do. He gave us that model in the Lord's prayer. But what I've noticed, that's the idea of like, I'm gonna align my will with your will. But what I've noticed in my life in the past is a lot of times I would use that as a crutch to then weaken my prayers. Well, God, if you do this, you know, your, your will be done. Or hey, if you could kind of show off your power here, if, if it's in your will. And, and I've noticed in the past couple years now, since I taught on this, how my prayers have changed. It, it's, it's, it's no more this, will your will be done. It's God. Would you heal my friend of cancer? You have the power to do it. I believe you can do it. Your will be done. God, I need you. I beg you to show off your power in this situation. I believe you can do it. Your will be done. It's been a game changer for me to help me have bigger, bolder, stronger prayers towards God. God will fight for you when you're fighting for his agenda. And, and sometimes he'll answer the sun standstill prayers. And sometimes it won't come out the way that we thought we wanted it to come out. But even when it doesn't, his presence is still there and sometimes his very presence becomes the miracle. Your circumstance might not be 100% where you want it, but your confidence can be 100%. So not only do we have to have a bold confidence, it's important for us to have a bold urgence, praying with expectancy, knowing literally what is at stake knowing what is at stake. For almost two days, they were battling, they were fighting, they were getting exhausted all day long, fighting and fighting, needing a break. Maybe we shouldn't call for the sun to set. I'm tired, my men are tired, but, but there's so much at stake. They had this urgency of the ground that needed to be taken. We need to have that type of urgency realizing the ground that needs to be taken in our marriages, the, the ground that needs to be taken with our children, the ground that needs to be taken in our neighborhoods. I mean, all of our churches took part together in the month of May for the Pray 313. Pray for three minutes at 313. And what did we do? We prayed for healing. We begged God for healing. We, we, we prayed God for physical healing, spiritual healing, and racial healing across our city. So important to keep praying with urgency, knowing what is at stake. We cannot stop taking ground boldly with urgence in our prayers. So not only do we need to have bold urgence, but lastly, I want to talk about this idea of bold reverence. To have, to have a bold reverence. Now, it doesn't really say specifically that, 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 that they had reverence in that moment, but come on. They pray for this, he prays for the sun to stand still and then the daylight just keeps shining. I mean, it's starting to drop, it's starting to drop, but yet it doesn't drop, it stays there. I mean, that must've just kept them in awe. Oh my goodness, he actually answered that this is incredible. It also reminds me of the writer in Hebrews 4.16 where he says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and he will find grace to help us when we need it the most. It's so important for us to have a bold 
reverence for God. And one of the ways that I truly believe that can help us pray more boldly is sometimes we need to um, shake up, if you will, our posture. To literally boldly get on our knees before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, being so overwhelmed by what he has done for us, by his grace and his mercy that he has poured out for you and for me. It's humbling. And I guess I want to ask you the question is, when was the last time that you boldly went to God and when you went to God, you got on your knees? And if, look, if you can't remember the last time that you boldly got on your knees in reverence before God, then it's probably been way too long. It's probably been way too long. And so may we snap ourselves out of the prayer days and, and pray with, with more dependence instead of depending on our own strength. To pray with more bold confidence, not, not letting the your will kind of kill that confidence, but to, but to strengthen that confidence and to have an urgence knowing what's at stake and to keep taking ground and then to do it with such reverence because of who he is and for what he's done for us. What would change if we stopped praying weak prayers and started praying more bold prayers? What would change in our own lives? What would change in your marriage? What would change in your family? What would change in your neighborhood? What would change in our cities? I believe it would do monumental things. we got to snap out of the prayer days that we can so easily fall into. Now, for some of you, um, when it comes to the idea of needing a sun stand still prayer to come true in your life, a miracle to come true, there is a miracle, probably the biggest miracle that needs to happen in your life is solving the biggest problem that you will ever face in your life. And that's the problem of our sin problem. We've all messed up. We've all royally disappointed and disobeyed God. And because of that, for the wages of one sin, it equals death, it equals separation from him. But God, in his great love and his great grace, saw the problem and literally sent his son, who didn't stand still, who came here and literally woke the entire world up from the days that it was in. And he lived here on this earth, lived a perfect life, and then died on a cross. And then three days later, rose from the dead with great victory to cancel out all of our sin, all of our shame, once and for all. And the scriptures tell us that, that, that God says that if we believe in him, that he's the only one that can save us from ourselves and save us from our sin, that we will be saved. Not behave, not, 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 not what you can do or how you can earn it. That, that's not going to work. That doesn't work. There's nothing you can do. It's only by your belief, by letting go, by surrendering and saying, God, I believe that you're the one who can save me, that you can be saved. And so if you've never done that, if you've never experienced that miracle for your life right now, God is trying to get your attention to wake you up out of your days. And he's offering you a real, genuine friendship. He's offering you to be a friend of God, to have a real relationship with him. And I want to give you that opportunity right now. So wherever you're at, I just want to invite you to just close your eyes and bow your head and just 
say these words, make them your own right now. Just say, Father, here I am. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out, but I know I need you. No more playing around, no more guessing games. I'm coming out of my days right now and I'm grabbing onto you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again for me. Thank you for canceling out my sin. Right now, I make you, Jesus, the king of my life. Amen. Well, listen, if you made that decision for the first time, the scriptures tell us that you will no longer perish, but have everlasting life. And your life truly, the purpose of your life, the meaning of your life starts now.